Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're talking with writer, teacher, podcast host, Christine Hoover, about pastors, wives, and their friendship. Christine is the author of several books, including Searching for Spring and Messy, Beautiful Friendship. She's a church-planting wife, a subject she also wrote a book about, married to Kyle, the pastor of Charlottesville Community Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, and together they're raising three handsome sons. Christine also hosts the podcast By Faith, and we're glad to have her on the For the Church podcast today. Christine, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, what's autumn like in Charlottesville, Virginia right now? Autumn in Charlottesville, Virginia is the reason why we live here. It's beautiful. (laughs) It is gorgeous. We live close to the mountains. We can see them actually from our front porch, and so it is a beautiful fall. We love the leaves changing. So Yeah, are they still colorful right now? Uh, we kind of are at the end of it. Yeah. We had a weird fall where it was very warm, and and the leaves changed really beautifully last week, and then now everything's dropping. So we got a, we had really good colors, but it was quick. Yeah, yeah. When I was in in Vermont, it was like you had a two week window. Um, yeah, it was always beautiful, but there was like that two weeks usually around Columbus Day for some reason. I don't know how nature knows Columbus Day, but when when the leaf peepers are coming in, like the tourism industry explodes yeah. <laughs> around Columbus Day in Vermont. Yes, <laughs> and it is. Yeah, ours is always around Halloween. That's, okay. that's how I count it. It's like Halloween is the best time to be in Virginia. Very cool. Yeah, and the colors in the Northeast, they're just, I mean, there's colors here right now I'm noticing. Um, I've been in Kansas City for about, uh, for four years now, I think three three autumns. And um, it's it's pretty, but I, the other day, I was just, you know, saying to my wife, we were driving around, and I was like, you know, it's just not as as pretty as I hoped it would be. And she goes, well, you know, we lived in New England, <laughs> so you're comparing yeah. it. If I compare oh, it to yeah, Houston, where I'm from, this is really beautiful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you, you I don't... know. I'm from Texas, too, and so getting to live on the East Coast and actually having seasons is one of the best things about being here. And, in fact, whenever we, we, we moved here to plant a church— and it was really hard first few years. And I remember thinking, thank you, God, at least I live in a beautiful place. Yeah, that's awesome. Very good. Well, um, speaking of seasons, <laughs> uh, I know that your latest book is Searching for Spring, and I want to ask you about that in a little yeah. bit. But first I want to talk about the subject of friendship. In particular, you wrote a book called Messy, Beautiful Friendship. Finding and Nurturing Deep and Lasting Relationships. Um, so I guess my first question would be like, why why a book on a subject like friendships? You know, because um, you would think, or some people would think, I, I assume, that friendships are just something that naturally happen, and do we really need a book-length treatment of them? I think we absolutely need one. <laughs> I mean, obviously I wrote a book You wrote the book, it. so okay. Um, yeah, I, I, and there's not actually there are more coming out now on this subject, which I am super excited about. But whenever I was thinking through this topic, there weren't many things out there about it, and I think it's something that yeah, exactly what you said. We think it should be natural, it should be easy, uh, and that's what we're told. That's what we believe. And in fact, friendship is 
very difficult and it requires a lot of thought, especially a biblical idea of friendship. And for me, this really birthed out of my own experience. Uh, in, in after college, my 20s, my 30s, friendship suddenly became difficult for me. It had never been difficult before. And if you think about it, it's pretty, you know, in high school or college, or it's pretty easy because you're just around people. You're living with friends in college. You are in class with your friends. And then when you become an adult and adult responsibilities kick in and some people get married and have children and there's just a lot more on your plate, friendship kind of gets shoved to the side and it can become a really difficult thing. I thought it was just me. I thought it was my issue. And uh, I I actually read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together during those years, and it really kind of helped me understand that uh, some of it was me. Some of it was my own understanding of what friendship should be. I had a very idealistic picture of that, and I was dissatisfied with the real people, the very real and imperfect people in my life. And so I had kind of was blaming other people and even blaming God that he wasn't giving me what I wanted in terms of friendship. And so it was through those years of kind of diagnosing the issue for myself that I started reading more and thinking more about this. And then I started talking to other women about it. And I realized that this is a complex issue for pretty much everybody. There's some people who this isn't, they're they're pretty natural when it comes to friendship, but I think that we all feel sometimes this angst about relationships and are we getting it right? And do we have friends that we can count on? Do we have friends um, that are this deep, intimate friendship and community that the Bible speaks about? And so as I was talking more to women about it, I realized this is an issue for a lot of people. And so I want to address that. I want to write down the things that I've learned personally in my own life and hopefully be a help and a resource to other people. Yeah. Do you think there is a place for, um, for lack of a better word, uh, chemistry, sort of the, well, we might say just, you know, how friendships become natural or, or, you know, become natural friends? Or do you think, like, anyone can be friends with anyone? It just, you, you have to have the right mindset and, and what have you. What's the place of that sort of, not spontaneous, but that, you know, sort of, you know, the chemistry of there's certain people that you just resonate with and click with and, you, you, you don't have to work to be friends with them. You just become friends. Yeah, I definitely think we have affinity toward people. And I think that's a good, that's kind of a good indicator that maybe God has this person in our life and this could be a good friend. And that's definitely what I look for. I look for not a chemistry necessarily, but a mutuality. Yeah. This is a person who I can I connect with over something. Uh, we have not necessarily even the same interests, but we have the same heart for the Lord and the same passion. We're kind of moving in the same direction. And uh, that's what C.S. Lewis talks about, is that friendship kind of comes around one thing and says, oh, you too, Uh, me too. And we find that commonality. And I think the best commonality is uh, a passion for the Lord. And you can really connect with people uh, who are very different than yourself when you have that in common. But there is an aspect of friendship and community that we don't choose, that we are in church communities where we are called by Scripture to love one another, to bear with one another. And I think there is a component sometimes of friendship and community that does not feel natural, and that's where we have to, by the Spirit, 
practice those one another's with each other, and that's where it can get difficult. Even in a, in a friendship where I feel an affinity towards somebody and there's this mutuality, we're eventually going to come up against an obstacle, a conflict, a misunderstanding. Yeah. And so I have to have those principles and those those scriptural instructions in mind in my relationship so that I'm ready to practice them when it gets hard, because it's going to get hard at some point. Yeah, you know, in, in the church world where this seems to be a common conversation, particularly with the rise of uh, resurgent interest in community, small groups, community groups, all those sorts of things, or just the experience of community, I've been curious about the reframing of discipleship. I grew up in a church culture where discipleship was you went to a, a class on a particular uh, evening in the, uh, you know, in the church building, you sat in rows and you know someone taught from a lectern, that sort of thing. Um, and that's a, an important aspect of discipleship. Today, the way people talk about discipleship, life on life, all these sorts of things, it makes me think we're talking about friendship. <laughs> we're talking about being friends. But I don't know if there's um, a point at which there is an overlap, if we should think about them differently. Is there a difference between friendship and what we would call in the church world discipleship? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. It kind of makes me think of a Venn diagram where these two overlap in a lot of ways. I do think I agree. I think they're very similar, but I also think sometimes it doesn't happen that way, and so we want to give voice to that. But I think that's a good way of thinking about discipleship is thinking of it in terms of friendship, that we're sharing life together, that it's not this program, it's not this formula that we're walking someone through, that we're, just, we're in relationship with one another. And uh, discipleship can happen in, in those types of relationships. For me, the best discipleships, re- discipleship relationships, they don't always start as friendships, but they end as, friend- as a friendship. And that doesn't always happen for me, and so I think that that's why we want to make sure we know that exception, because discipleship is, is very intentional, and I want to be very intentional about pursuing someone. Sometimes that person is not in a place where they have a lot that they can give back. They may be suffering. They may be work, walking through a time of doubt or confusion, and so I'm going to be intentional to pour myself into them. And I'm going to enjoy that relationship, but it may not be that mutuality that I just described about what friendship is, and that's okay. But I think the best discipleship relationships do turn into a friendship, and we can learn a lot or think well about discipleship if we think in terms of friendship and relationship and just sharing life together and and spending time together and having those kinds of conversations that friends would have. Yeah, you know, I think of how how important proximity, how important um, imitation is in in you know discipling others, and how those you know those um, things really do overlap with friendship. Or I look back at you know those who I felt most discipled by the relationships in the church that I experienced, where I had more profound. Uh, periods of growth spiritually and and felt more developed, and they typically were with youth leaders or you know pastors who were you know significantly ahead of me spiritually, perhaps just a little bit older, but you know were significantly more mature than I was. And the the times that I remember being most shaped by them 
were not necessarily in you know the Wednesday night youth meeting where they're teaching as as important as that was, but the times they let me into their home where I could you know sit at their yeah. you know dinner table for family dinner or you know one particular um, pastor who was a great mentor to me just letting me in his office he often would work late. And, um, you know, I just hang out in his office and do my homework. And so we're not really even talking. Uh, you know, he's working, I'm working, mm-hmm. but just he let me in. And it felt like, hey, I'm friends with – it just felt so cool as a kid to be friends with the youth pastor. But it was also shaping to me, and as I look back, really helpful to me in, in how I think of ministry even, that it's not simply about dispensing information but about letting people in and, and I, I suppose, befriending them. Do you think friendship is is harder today than it was back then? Whatever back then means. <laughs> back then, I, I think technology gets a bad rap, and I think that this is one of sometimes it gets a bad rap, and I think this is one of the ways that it has affected us in a, in a negative way. I think the way that it's affected us specifically is that we use the term friend so loosely that we don't even have a definition anymore of what friendship is. Yeah. And so we, we talk about somebody that we, we know from high school, it's a Facebook friend as a friend, and we talk about people that we know really well and intimately as a friend. And so I think we have to really consider what the term friend means. And so this confusion makes friendship harder, I think. I think it technology teaches us that we can be close to so many people or we can keep in contact with so many people, and it's taken us out of our embodied lives and takes our minds and our hearts and um, everything, uh, our attention outside of our localized churches and relationships, and I think that harms us, that we think we can maintain many different kinds of relationships when really we're designed in a limited way for limited numbers of relationships. And so I do think that that's making it harder, that we don't know how to think about it anymore. We don't know who to give our time and and energy toward. And we, again, like I said earlier, we don't have an understanding even of what biblical friendship looks like. So I do think it's harder in, in some senses but I do like that we're moving, as you said, to this kind of community group model where relationships and being in in relationships with one another is coming more to the forefront, that we don't think of um, discipleship so much as standing at a lectern and dispensing knowledge, but we do think more in terms of relationships. Yeah, you, know, you, you touched on something that, you know, I, I wish I'd thought of, just even the the malleable nature of or definition of friendship today, the way, you know, the word friend has come to be a verb uh, related to social media. And, you know, I, friend, yeah. I, I friended you. Or yeah. We have hundreds of friends on, on Facebook and um, all those sorts of things. Or even the, you know, the precursor to MySpace where you would rank your friends and, and all of these things. Um, I hadn't thought about the yeah. self um, – self-oriented definition of friendship and and um, really kind of the amorphous way we think about it. I wonder how that speaks into um, – well, I wonder, do you think technology um, – I know that's such a strange word, technology, but social media, the virtual world we live in, um, which has made us, I think, 
a little bit more isolated has made it harder to do friendship because we tend to be more wrapped up in ourselves. We see friends as more fulfillers of ourselves rather than, um, you know, people to serve and, and to pour into. Is that a cultural phenomenon as well? I think so. I think we kind of, the way we approach relationships is often now, here I am. You know, we enter a room or we put on social media, here I am. Now you respond to me. You yeah. like my thing or you, uh, you know, respond to me in whatever way. You come to me. You initiate with me. I think that is one of our biggest problems. That's what I see uh, amongst women in our church who are struggling with relationships is they're just, they're passively waiting for others to come toward them. And so I do think that we've lost this sense of, and maybe this is just human nature, is we don't want to be the ones to have to go first, whether it's initiating some a conversation or getting together with someone or going first in vulnerability. But that's what it takes. And I think that's, that's really the, the gist of the book that I wrote about it, is that friendship is about what we do. It's not about what other people do for us. So whatever you're wanting, you go and do that for someone else. That's really what the Bible says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so how can you be purposeful about not saying, here here I am, now you come to me, but saying, there you are, and I go to you. And I want to be intentional about uh, conversation. I want to be intentional about time. I want to be intentional about working through conflict when conflict arises, that the relationship, I, I don't, the, re, the responsibility for it isn't only on me, but I'm going to do my part and I'm going to be the one to go and to be intentional toward others. So I do think that that technology plays a part in that, that we think we know people based upon what they post on social media. We make assumptions about them based upon what they post there. And we don't really try to get to know people beyond that. It's a very surface-oriented culture, and and I think that's infiltrating into our church relationships as well. But I will say, I, I just talked to Hannah Anderson about this. She's the author of Humble Roots and a new book, All is Good. And Hannah, Hannah Anderson said, said to me that we like to stay on the soup superficial level in our relationships in the church even because it saves us from heartache it it mm. saves us from the heartbreak of when there is conflict or we do have to address sin with somebody else or they have to address that with us we have to ask for forgiveness and we have to repent those are things that we really just don't want to do we want to avoid them and so we like to stay on the surface of our relationships. And I, I found that very profound to think about, that if we're doing relationships right within the church, there's going to be heartache, but we have to be willing to go toward that, knowing that on the other side of that is the deep, intimate relationships and friendships that we long for. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we also see the superficial relationships. We have a uh, a depth ascribed to them that's that's not real. I, I think that speaks to, um, you know, how we call everyone friends and everything. Uh, the the modern. I'll mm-hmm. give you. Uh, I'll suggest a modern example. I hope this doesn't paint me in a bad light, but I've no, I've noticed um, wedding parties the size and uh, I mean I guess we could even just mm-hmm. talk about that whole how weddings are different today than they used to be and 
engagements and prom invitations and everything else, um, which even 10, 15 years ago were not as extravagant as they are now. But I'll see like bridal parties where there's like 15 bridesmaids and I'm thinking, you don't have that many friends. Mm-hmm. There's no way. <laughs> and then the poor sap groom is like, man, he's got like two buddies. He's got to find 13 other schmucks who <laughs> come along and pretend to be his friends. Yeah. You know, uh, And maybe they really do because women are better at making friends, I think. But I just – just that to me is are they really all – good enough friends to be in that in that circle and maybe they are but um just the way we ascribe depth to even what we in reality are maybe more tangential or superficial relationships to sort of assuage or or mask that we really don't go deep um you know with a few or or um or with many or what have you yeah i I think it's a really complex thing and i want to sort of shift to more specifically in the church, to ministry relationships as well. But first, let's take a coffee break and hear from our friends at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're talking with Christine Hoover, author of the book Messy, Beautiful Friendship. And you didn't write the book um, specifically about pastors' friendships and what have you, but it's a subject that I think that's of some importance to our listeners. And I'll just say, personally, I began thinking more through, I guess what we could call a doctrine of friendship or just the nature of friendship um, when I was in, in pastoral ministry more than I ever did before. And that, you know, struck me as different, that when I was, you know, wasn't the lead pastor of a church or just growing up, I never really thought through what makes a friend, who is a friend, how can I be friends, why can't I be friends with everybody, all of that sort of thing, until I became a pastor. So I think there's a a, a distinct element here that's worth discussing. And as a pastor's wife um, who has thought through these things, I wonder if you can help us apply it a little bit. Do you agree, first of all, that it's difficult, or maybe not more difficult, but difficult for pastors and their wives to make and have friends? And if if so, why do you think that is? It's hard for me to answer this question because I've only ever been a pastor's wife in my adult years. And okay. so I have a good friend who is not, not a pastor's wife, and she's often will tell me, Christine, what you're experiencing is what I experienced too. And that's been really helpful for me because I think that that often I have used my role as an excuse. At the same time, I do think there are complexities to it. I, I would say I would describe them as more obstacles to overcome. I I really don't want to ever give myself the excuse that my role makes me the exception. Okay. And I think often that's what pastors' wives especially might do, or even pastors, 
to say, oh, well, I can't share certain things with people in my church. And I think that we can use those excuses to isolate ourselves. And there's some pride involved with that um, because I need the ministry of the body and I need friendship. That's where the ministry of the body is going to happen at that level for the pastor and pastor's wife. But I do think it's hard for pastors and pastor's wives to make good friends where they feel like that they can be themselves. And I would say that that's primarily because people relate to them according to their roles and not according to who they are as people. Often congregants don't think, or this is my, this is my take on it as a pastor's wife. I don't think that they always think in terms of my pastor is a person. He has interests. He has passions. He has struggles. He sometimes doesn't want to be at church on Sundays. I don't think people really ever consider those things, maybe. I don't know. And I think the same thing happens for the pastor's wife, that people relate to her according to this role that they that they put her in. And it can be really, really I think tempting and really, really easy for the pastor and the pastor's wife to begin to relate to people in that way, to to take on that mantle of this role, because in some ways it's self-protective. In some ways you can hide behind that and not have to show that you do have things that you're uncertain about or that you struggle with. And so I think it, it it's just this kind of complex catch-22 kind of thing that can really hinder pastors and pastors' wives from having deep friendships within the church. Yeah. When I was um, pastoring last, I would work through a topical series every fall through really kind of relational issues. Normally I would you know, preach through books of the Bible and what have you, but we always would pause and I would preach on on, on marriage and parenting and, and those sorts of things because it just seems like it was ever fresh subjects of interest, applying the gospel to those relationships. And it occurred to me one year, maybe a couple of years, but one year in particular, I preached on friendship. And it was because the subject was becoming uh, so pronounced in my mind, because of a few things going on in the church, um, you know, things where the wisdom of Proverbs may speak into the kind of company you keep, that sort of thing. But also because there was this recurring, this recurring issue, and perhaps it was that context I think this is why pastors and pastors' wives sometimes struggle with this. It, it usually depends on their context. The idea that um, the pastor and pastor's wife are um, special people. Well, they are special people, but um, you know, to be friends with them is 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 to really have something, you know, um, or to have their ear that's different than having the ear or the friendship mm-hmm. of of a normal person, right? That sort of thing. And so there's just more. There's more demand. And I began to kind of distinguish, and I want you to, you know, correct me if you think I'm, I'm off here, um, to distinguish the ability to be a friend to anyone, right? Like, you know, it's it's our call, um, you know, to love one another and and to be gracious, uh, to outdo one another, showing honor. So it's not to say that you you can't or shouldn't be a friend to everyone, but I began to to think and believe that you can't really be friends with everyone because there's a mutuality involved and there's some folks who want want to be friends with the pastor and their wife out of after a while you discern some self-serving 
desire for proximity to that, what they perceive as power or um, influence or what have you, or for their own kind of. um, And that was something that I uh, tended to become pretty sensitive to, that there were quote-unquote friendships in the church that were more draining uh, for me and didn't really feel like friendships at all. Um, Yes. So I don't know if if that's something, do we avoid that? How do we navigate through that? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's a great distinction, and that is what I've come to as well. The way that I think about it is that I want to honor everyone that I interact with, but I'm going to be friends with just a few. And the way that I make the distinction is the mutuality. Does this person ask me questions? (laughs) That's so basic, but there's so many relationships that pastors and pastors' wives have they are never asked a question. They are never asked, how are you? What is going on in your life? And I think most people would be very surprised by that, Mm -hmm. how much listening is involved for the pastor and the pastor's wife, which they're happy to do. But the distinction that I have made is when I, those questions are returned and I leave a time or a conversation with another woman where I feel that God has given me life through them, that is, I take note of that. And I say, that's a person that I want to get to know more. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to, and often those people are the people who will give you space because they are empathetic to the demands on your time. And so what I have found is that I need to then go and initiate with them and even voice to them. I consider you a friend. You are my friend. So I'm giving the label to the relationship that they would probably be slower to give because they're empathetic to the demands on my time and relationship uh, relationship demands. And so that's been two really helpful things. One is to distinguish, is this a mutual relationship? And then labeling it as a friendship, voicing that to them. That has really invited deeper friendship. And of course, it doesn't always work that linearly, um, but that's been helpful for me. Just in my own mind, as I think about, I can't be friends with everybody, yeah. so how do I make those distinctions? Yeah, yeah, and I think for pastors listening, if I could give you a word of advice um, related to this, is to have your wife's back on um, her position there. Um, my experience is that I didn't have an inordinate uh, number of men who wanted to be, you know, quote unquote, my best friend. Um, sometimes that would happen, but it just seemed to be a, a, a pronounced um, interest in my wife among women, and she's friendly to all, and you know, willing to uh, to be gracious and and um, you know, honor others, but we quickly discerned through a couple of um, really two different pastorates the the number of women who wanted to be really close friends with my wife more out of a self-interest and a a proximity to influence and um, to where my wife began to feel somewhat used. Like, you only want to be my friend because I'm the pastor's Mm -hmm. wife. You don't have an interest in me as a person. And so it became harder for her in, in a couple of different contexts. And so the temptation for me is, as a people pleaser, just naturally, but also as a pastor, to try to talk her out of that <laughs> that disposition. But we really are allowed, um, in, in a sense, to choose our friends, uh, you know, to be friendly with everyone. Yeah. 
Um, but it, it's okay to have, you know, uh, a limited number of close friends, people that you feel heard by, uh, you know, valued by, not used by or exploited by. Um, you know, I think of Jesus himself, yeah. you know, well, he had the 12 guys, but then, you know, there's something special about Peter, James, and John. And then there was, John was the one he loved, whatever that means, you know, so. Yeah. Well, Jared, I would add too, I think one of the reasons that happens for pastor's wives is that we are safe people for women. They mm-hmm. know if they're not feeling connected to other women in the church, they know at least the pastor's wife is going to be friendly and nice okay. to them. And I think that's that's often what happens is that people feel a security and a safety. And, you know, I don't think everybody always has uh, these motives of trying to be near people in authority. Uh, I do think there are those people. But I think often it's just, this is, a, I'm, this is a safe and secure person for me. I know I can at least go to her and she'll talk to me yeah. and make me feel welcome. And so I think there is this pressure that we feel, and I'm glad you're addressing that with pastors. Just what's really helpful for me is my husband to alleviate some of that pressure yeah. and say, you don't have to get coffee with everyone who asks you. <laughs> it's okay for you to choose what you do with your time and with your relational capital. That's right. Do, do you perceive that um, the idea of the pastor's wife is changing? Um, this is probably more of an evangelical culture question, but do we think of pastor's wives differently today generally than we did 10, 20, 30 years ago? I think this might be different depending on what area of the country that we live in. Okay. I would say where I am, I live in a much more progressive culture, and there's not even a deep understanding of church and what it means to be a part of a church community. And so for the pastor and the pastor's wife, there's not this elevation or it's not that it's, I don't, it's not that I don't feel honored uh, and revered, but I don't think that there's this, you know, great elevation, like we're at a distance from everyone else. And so in some ways, I think that's probably becoming more and more what we're seeing in traditional, more traditional churches. It may not be so much like that, but I do think with this emphasis on church planting and people moving into more progressive areas and planting churches, I've talked to, I remember talking to a pastor's wife in Montreal, and she said, I don't feel any of those expectations that more traditional pastor's wives might feel. And and I'm feeling some of that where I am. And so I think that's where where we're moving. And in some ways, I think that's a really good thing. I see that pastor's wives have a lot more freedom to be who they are rather than fit into some sort of mold. Uh, I think there's a freedom to use their gifts and to choose how they serve. And I see that as a really, really good thing. But I do think no matter what culturally changes, that pastors wives deal with these internal expectations. And I don't think that's changing. I think we all uh, struggle at some level to navigate our own pressure that we put on ourselves, our own expectations. And so I think that's just going to be something we always are dealing with, no matter what. I think that's probably a good word all around is to be careful um, for any of us that we're not projecting um, our own insecurities. I know this is a danger for me, projecting my own insecurity onto any relationship. 
uh, that I'm in, in particular friendships, uh, you know, what I fear someone's interested in or what I fear they perceive of me. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's true for pastors, for their wives, and um, and for all relationships, really, in the church. Um, okay, you, your latest book mm-hmm. is called Searching for Spring. It came out earlier this year, March, I think, of this year. Um, how God yes, makes I think all, so. Yeah, How God Makes All Things Beautiful in Time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Searching for Spring? Yeah, Searching for Spring is kind of a departure for me with my other books. I wanted to explore how God works in taking things from hard, our suffering, or difficult circumstances, and how He transforms those into something beautiful, whether it's now in this time or it's in the time to come. Mm. It was birthed out of a conversation, well, many conversations I was having with actually one of my good friends who was going through some really hard things, and she felt stuck, and she felt like that nothing good really could come from the situation, and she was turning those questions toward God and saying, how could God be good in this? How could, is this what he wants for me to be in this situation for the rest of my life? And she was just very honest. We had some very raw conversations, and as I was thinking through that, I was also reading Ecclesiastes, and there's a verse in there right after the famous poem about there's a time for everything where it says that God makes all things beautiful in its time. And so I was kind of thinking about all these things together, and that's where the idea for the book was birthed, was what kind of hope can I give my friend who is asking these questions? How does God work? And can he really make all things beautiful? And so I use the seasons as an analogy for that, just to kind of talk about summer as summer is really, you know, the time before we ever experience anything hard. And we just think life is going to be great and easy. And God is good because our situation is good. And then something happens and we start to question all of those things. And that takes us into fall where we feel like there's a sense of dying. There's a sense of loss. And that's really the the main part of the book is fall and winter and how do we live in a time when we feel like things are barren and things are fruitless and how can we trust God in that waiting time and believe that spring is coming? And so really the book is called Searching for Spring because we're looking for where God is and how he's working in this time of winter, and winter is really, that's where we live. That's that's the time now where we're waiting for Jesus' return. We're waiting for all things to be made good, and so that's what the book is about. It really is just a book for my friend to say there's hope. There's yeah. always hope. That's a good word in any season, I believe. Christine, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jared. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, we've been speaking to Christine Hoover, a pastor's wife, writer, host of the podcast By Faith, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Don't forget to check out all of her books, including her most recent title, Searching for Spring, which you just shared about, and Messy, Beautiful Friendship, which, of course, you can find wherever good books are sold, Amazon, CBD, Lifeway, and the rest. And don't forget to visit For the Church online at ftc.co, ftc.co where we have a nice selection of articles from Christine, which I know will bless you.
Thanks for listening, friends. And as always, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.